Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za David had tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, but uh, hadn't done it in, in God's prescribed way. And uh, Uzzah had tried to catch the Ark as the oxen stumbled and the cart wobbled and the, the, the Ark began to slide off. And you remember that the Lord struck Uzzah down. The Lord killed him there. And... Uh, that brought an immediate end to the celebration, to the parade. And uh, they left the ark in, in Obed with, with a man called Obed-Edom and his family and great blessing came upon his family. Chapter 14 that we looked at last week uh, was just to reinforce that David was God's anointed, was God's choice. It, it showed us God's blessing on David's life in many various ways and especially in the area of warfare as he fought against the Philistines. And that was placed there just in case you thought maybe, maybe David's not a great guy because he blew it with trying to move the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, that was just to reinforce that he was God's choice. Now in chapter 15, we're going to come back to David moving the Ark and David has learned his lesson. David shows true repentance. And so we're going to look at a fairly big section of Scripture so I'm not going to read it up front. I'll read it as, uh, and we'll go through it, and then I'll, I'll take pauses and, and uh, we'll explain it and also seek to apply it in our lives, in the church, in the 21st century. So please keep your Bibles open. So 1 Chronicles chapter 15 from verse 1 says, David built houses for himself in the city of David. The city of David is the name given to Jerusalem. Uh, he built houses there and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. So he prepares a place, builds a foundation for the ark of the covenant and he puts a tent over it. It's not yet a solid building or a temple as, as uh, we know it. A temple will be built later on by, by Solomon. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister, and to, minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And so he calls the Levites, the Levites, the descendants of Levi, uh, one of the twelve tribes. And so he says... Guys, come up here. We need to transport the ark. Uh, we need to bring it to Jerusalem. He's prepared a place for it. Verse 4, And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites. And um, uh, 
there's this distinction made between the sons of Aaron and the Levites. But if you know your Bible, you'll know that Aaron was a descendant of Levi. Uh, but there is a distinction made in Scripture that the descendants of Aaron, the sons of Aaron, were the, the priests. Uh, they were the ones who did the sacrifices. The other Levites uh, served in a priestly way, but in different, different spheres. And so uh, he then gives in verse 5 this breakdown of the different Le Levitical families. Of the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief with 120 of his brothers. Six of the sons of Merari, Asahai the chief with 220 of his brothers. Seven of the sons of Gershom, Joel the chief with 130 of his brothers. Eight of the sons of Elizaphan, Shemaiah the chief with 200 of his brothers. Nine of the sons of Hebron, Eliel the chief with 80 of his brothers. Ten of the sons of Uziel, Aminadab the chief with 112 of his brothers. And so there's this uh, list that is given. And uh, it doesn't mean too much to us today. Uh, there's no deep meaning for us today. Uh, all that the chronicler is, is doing here is showing again the unity the unity in Israel, the unity amongst the, the different families of the, the Levites. Uh, he's saying they were all present. So remember I've told you before, one of the major themes of Chronicles is to, is to display the unity of God's people. The original audience are those that have come out of exile in Babylon. They have returned in dribs and drabs to Israel, to the promised land. They've returned to uh, ruins and chaos and disorder and enemies and so they are discouraged and the chronicler is trying to encourage them and you know that when people are discouraged and when there are difficulties in life we are more prone to fight isn't that right uh, when we're put under pressure we're more likely to be divisive to get irritated uh, ask any parent uh, when uh, when there are pressures and this this child is sick and this, one, this is happening here and there's financial pressures and all of those things, they're more likely to be grumpy and aggressive. And that's, that's what's going on. And so the chronicler is trying to show, no, there needs to be unity amongst God's people. And that's exactly the same today. There must be unity amongst God's people. Strive for unity, we're told to in the New Testament. We're told to uh, bear one another's burdens, to forgive one another. Over and over again, we're told to forgive one another. There will be differences, uh, cultural differences, ethnic differences, differences of personality, differences of style, all of those things uh, we need to work together. But then there will be also sin. We sin against one another. Don't think, well, you know, I'm in the church, there'll be no sin. No. Uh, God saves sinners and unfortunately uh, we come with all our baggage and we come with bad habits and we we're not yet perfected. We have to wait for our, our glorified state. Uh, so we do sin against each other, unfortunately. But we are to be quick to repent. We are to be quick to forgive, to not allow division to, to come in. And so the chronicler is doing that here for Israel uh, many, many, many centuries ago. But the principle still applies for us today, to be united. And so he, he lists these, all these different families. And then verse 11, he says, Then David summoned the priests. So remember that 
the, descend, the sons of Aaron, they were the priests, the, the special class, only they could do the sacrifices. But the other descendants of Levi also served in temple worship. But here he mentions the priests and he summons the priests, Zadok and Abiathar, and the Levites, Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. And so I just want to, this is just a bonus for you, uh, this mention of this priest called Zadok. Very important priest in the Old Testament. He is the priest that serves during the reigns of David and Solomon. He is involved in their inaugurations. Uh, and he is a, a, a wonderful figure, uh, a wonderful testimony to us. In fact, in Hebrew, the, his, his name means righteous. Okay, and so again, he is a picture of, of Christ. Remember, Christ is the true high priest. Christ is the one who is perfectly righteous. And the priests were supposed to represent the righteousness of God. And we'll see the different ways that they did that. But Zadok is here and uh, mentioned here. And, just as another bonus, uh, even if you know nothing about classical music, you probably know a song about this guy. Okay? Uh, there is a very famous song called Zadok the Priest, uh, which was written by Handel for the, the inauguration of uh, one of the British monarchs, and it's still played at all inaugurations of British monarchs. Uh, the way you'll probably know it is, it's the Champions League song. Okay? <laughs> so there you go. Every time you watch Champions League and hear that song, that is Zadok the Priest. So you could even use it evangelistically if you go with some friends, watch a Champions League game. Tell them, by the way, this is about Zadok the Priest. Let me tell you about the true High Priest. Okay? <laughs> Maybe you can be more sophisticated in your segue than, than that. But... Uh, so this is what uh, he, he then says to them, verse 12. You are the heads, this is what David says, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us, because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. And so here we're given a bit of a recap. As I mentioned, the first time they tried, it ended in disaster. And David acknowledges the reason. He tells us why. Verse 13, because you did not carry it the first time. The Levites, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. And so they were to bring this Ark of the Covenant. For those of you not familiar with it, it's a small, small box about 1.3 meters in length, about 80 centimeters wide and 80 centimeters high, covered in gold. And then it had a gold plate on top called the atonement seat. And then it had two gold angels or cherubims with their wings crossed over, touching each other. And that top part was seen as the throne of God. And within the ark, it was a box, within inside was the Ten Commandments. And as I said to you last time, it was a wonderful picture of the gospel. The law condemns. 
the law is good and right. The law is not bad. There's no problem with the law. The law reveals God's righteous and holy character to us. And so we, are, we do not believe, we are not anti-law here at Heritage. Uh, we believe, we delight in the law. That is what a Christian should do. When God says, honor your mother and father, do not blaspheme, do not steal, do not uh, commit adultery, do not covet. Uh, those are good things. God is not trying to defraud us or rob us or stop us from having a good time. He is saying, I want you to know joy and freedom. This is how you need to live to experience that. But uh, if you're honest with yourself, you know that you fail. You break those commands in thought, in word, and in deed. And so the law condemns us. We should be imprisoned, eternally damned. We should experience the wrath of God. We could not come into the presence of God, into this, this throne of God. And so the priest would come and animals, an innocent animal would have to be killed. And its blood taken and the blood would be sprinkled onto the, the throne. So that the high priest could stand before God. Symbolizing again, the only way we can come into the presence of God is if there is a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. If atonement is made, atonement for our sins, if the fine is paid, if the price is paid. The good news in Christ, the fine has been paid. And so we can approach God. In fact, the writer of Hebrews is quite, it's quite stunning. He says we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Not even just groveling on the ground. But because of Christ, we can come to God with boldness. We are His, his children. We belong to Him. Uh, just as, as my children can come to me, uh, not groveling. Sometimes I would like them to do that. But, uh, but they can come to me. Uh, we can come to our Father because of Christ. And so David says we need to bring this ark to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital city. God's throne needs to be there. And David acknowledges his sin. Remember why Saul was killed early on in Chronicles? He did not seek the Lord. In chapter 13, David did not seek the Lord. Look what he says here. Because we did not seek him according to the rule. We did not come to him the way he had prescribed. God says, when you come to me, this is how you come. And that hasn't changed. God still tells us how we come to Him. We must come with humility, contrite hearts, repentant hearts, hearts full of faith and trust. Because He is the King, He is God. He tells us how we come to Him. And so maybe you've wondered, what's the difference between Saul and David? Because here we read, David didn't seek the Lord. Isn't that why God killed Saul? But if you go through the life of Saul, you go through 1 Samuel, and then the life of David in 2 Samuel, you'll see the difference between the two of them is not that David was a good guy who never did bad things. That's how most of us think. We think good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. That's what we think. You need to be a good religious person, go to church, give your money, pray your prayers. Just be, a, be an all-round good person, a nice guy. Okay, uh, then you'll be okay. No, no, you, you've never read the Bible then. Okay? And I teach my children this a lot because I don't want them to be self-righteous Pharisees. The difference between believers and unbelievers isn't, what, you know, well, these are good guys and these are bad guys. 
Because, of course, then, what would the implication be? We're the good guys. Yeah, a church, if you're a member, you know, you, you and I, we're good guys. And those people out there, those are bad people. Uh, and so we're better than them. We're above them. We're cleverer. We made good decisions. All of those things. No, no, no. Uh, the whole of Scripture is showing it's not about the people so much as about the grace of God. David is a wretch. Okay. An adulterer, murderer, deceiver. Doesn't seek the Lord even in this earlier uh, section. But the difference is he takes responsibility and he repents of his sin. What is the difference between believers and unbelievers? A believer is someone who acknowledges their sin. I am unworthy. I am no better than anyone else. I don't deserve any. All I deserve is judgment. And so you, you then cry out to the Lord, Lord, have mercy upon me. You look to Calvary, the price that was paid on, on our behalf. And David acknowledges it. Yeah, publicly, he acknowledges it. Didn't seek the Lord. But he repents. And you see this in the life of David. That's the difference. It's not religion. It's not all these other things. It is the person who will humble themselves, acknowledge their sin, take responsibility for their sin, and cry out to God to have mercy and entrust your life to, to Christ. He took the place of sinners and rose again on the third day. And so David does that. And again, the chronicler is showing us a picture of how Israel, how God's people is supposed to behave. When they do sin, they are to repent. And so he says to the priests, he says, go and consecrate yourselves. You see that there, verse 12? Consecrate yourselves. Verse 14, so the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves. And so we're going to spend some time looking at the priests. There were three things really about priests that separated them. They were called, they were consecrated or cleansed is another word you could use, and they were clothed. Called, consecrated, clothed. And so they were called by God. The Levitical line was called by God. When we come to the New Testament, maybe you don't know this, but if you're a Christian, did you know that you're also a priest? It's not like the, the Roman Catholic Church or the Anglican Church that has priests. In the New Covenant, all true believers are priests. You don't believe me? Shame on you if you don't believe me. <laughs> First Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, not only priests, but kings, royal, okay, kings and queens, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, he's talking about the Jews. No, no, the next verse says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is not ethnic. This is all of God's people now, a royal priesthood. And so the lessons, the principles taken from the Old Testament priesthood are now to be applied to us as God's people. If you're a Christian, you were called. There was a special call on your life. There was an effectual call on your life. An irresistible call. 
Maybe for some of you that testimony is more dramatic than others. It was a radical shift. Maybe for others it was, it was uh, gradual. Uh, scriptures, you, you know, John 3, the Lord Jesus uses the example of, being, of, of, of birth, of being born. I have three children and every single birth was different. Okay? And, and that's the way salvation works as well. There's no one size fits all. It's different and it's wonderful. That's why uh, read the testimonies as they're sent out on the newsletter. Rejoice with the angels at God saving people. It's a glorious thing. If you're a Christian, you have been called by God. Uh, what an incredible privilege. The priests were to be consecrated. The idea here is to be cleansed or set apart or sanctified. Maybe that's a, a word that you're more familiar with. To be sanctified, set apart now for holy use. Exodus chapter 29, uh, the Lord gives all the details. There, there had to be animals killed. They had to be washed. They had to go and wash themselves. Uh, it, it was a, a picture of purification. They had to be cleaned. They had to be consecrated. Now they belong to God. And every time they were serving in the temple, they had to go and clean themselves. In fact, the Lord says, if you don't clean your hands and your feet, I will kill you. They had to go and wash themselves. Now, how does that apply to us again? Does it mean every time we come to church, we must wash our hands and our feet? No. Remember, those are, those are physical pictures that are pointing to something much, much deeper. The scripture says that we've been washed by regeneration of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have been set apart. Now, even with the priests, there was an initial setting apart. The moment when they were ordained, I think probably at the age of 30, if I remember correctly, they were washed in a special way. But then every time they served, they had to be washed again. And so it's the same for God's people. When you were saved, you were set apart. You were sanctified. There was something that happened here. In fact, Paul can say this in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That was your identity. That is what defined you. But you were washed you were sanctified. Notice Paul is not generally when we use the word sanctification, we mean growing in holiness. But the Bible uses it in both ways. It also refers to the fact of your salvation. You were set apart at salvation. You were washed at salvation. You were sanctified. But then there is the ongoing aspect of growing in holiness. As God's priests, we need to be growing in holiness. Theologians call this progressive sanctification. So listen to this passage. We don't have time to unpack it, but I think it's a very powerful passage. Hopefully will we'll convict us. Areas where we are not growing in holiness. Colossians 3 verse 1. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. If you're a Christian. 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So renew your thinking. Interpret everything through heavenly thinking, through spiritual thinking. Put on those glasses, the glasses of Scripture. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And here it is. This is the aspect of growing in holiness. We've been using this warfare language of fighting sin. And so he says here, put to death. Fight. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Paul says in Romans, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Be killing that sin wherever you see it in yourself. And then he gives a list. These are the things that we must be fighting in our, in our lives as priests. Priests who come into the presence of God. Priests who worship the living God. We want to be holy. What must we put today? Sexual immorality. Impurity. Passion. It's sinful passion. Your lusts. Evil desires. Covetousness, which is idolatry. You ever thought of covetousness in, those, in that way? You covet what somebody has. Covet their possessions, their car, their house, their spouse, marriage, children. You're creating an idol. It's idolatry. You are putting something in the place of God. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger. Wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Uh, what sort of jokes do you tell or listen to in the workplace? Is your language obscene, vulgar? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no, not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Are you compassionate? Caring for others? Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so the Old Testament priests were called, they were chosen by God, they were to be consecrated set apart, washed. But it was all external. You read the history of Israel. There were priests who were set apart. They, were, they, they went through the washings, but they, their hearts were far from God. They hated God. Uh, that's not possible for us now. If you're a Christian, you are truly washed. And you, you and I must be fighting sin. 
If you're just pretending externally, just coming to church, putting on a show, well, that's, the Bible calls that hypocrisy. It's an act. And so we are to put off sin, be fighting it wherever we find it, growing in holiness, in sanctification. We are set apart. We are the, the priests, God's priests, to serve one another, to serve Him, to be intercede for one another. And the third one is they were clothed, and we'll come to that a little bit later on. Verse 16, David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals, to raise sounds of joy. Isn't this wonderful? If it's too loud, you're too old. Okay. That's what uh, I've heard. Uh, here they're told to play loudly. Uh, they're told to bring all these instruments to raise sounds of joy. And so there is this wonderful picture as you read through this, this passage of God's people gathering and loudly worshipping Him with all these different types of instruments, praising the Lord with joy. And this is one of those things, remember we saw last week, uh, when we read the Old Testament, uh, there are these strands that we want to follow through to the New Testament. So as I've just mentioned, with the warfare language, we looked last week at 2 Corinthians 10, Ephesians 6, we saw that we are no longer to fight against people. We're no longer to go and kill people who reject Christianity. But we are to, to fight sin. We are to fight ungodly philosophies. We are to evangelize. Those are all terms that are used uh, or described with warfare language. And the same with sacrifices. We no longer sacrifice animals to the Lord. We are to give our lives to the Lord. And there are different ways that we sacrifice. But then there are other things where it continues. And one of them is worshipping the Lord. Uh, singing and worshipping the Lord and praising God. That continues into the, the new covenant. That's what we've just done a few minutes ago. We're singing loudly, I hope, to the Lord. Praising God. Rejoicing. Verse 17 continues, So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and of his brothers Asaph, the son of Berechai. Continues with a list there. Uh, look at verse 19. The singers were to sound bronze cymbals. Uh, verse 20, they were to play harps. Uh, verse 21, to lead with lyres, according to the Shemineth. And then it says in verse 22, Chenaniah, leader of the Levites in music, should direct the music for he understood it. Okay, and so uh, there is this idea that uh, leadership in different spheres is given to those who understand or who are skilled in it. So maybe you're wondering, where should I serve in the church? Uh, well, it's according to your giftings. Uh, as God's people, all of us have been given spiritual gifts. Uh, different gifts are mentioned in Scripture, administration, hospitality, uh, teaching, uh, caring for one another. All of these things are, are mentioned in Scripture, but it's not an exhaustive li list. There are many different types of gifts that are, are given. So if you're wondering where to serve, 
If you are really uncomfortable greeting people, don't volunteer for the welcome team. Okay? Uh, that's probably not where you should be. If you're like me, who uh, has uh, no, no ability to play a musical instrument, uh, it would be foolish of me to volunteer to join the, the music team. Okay? Even if, if it was just to play the triangle or something like that. <laughs> I'm sure I'd mess that up as well. Uh, so this is just a very... Notice how practical this is. Sometimes when we come to Scripture, we just think it's you know, esoteric and it's all super spiritual and up here. But over and over again, you just see how practical God's Word is. This guy is skillful in the music. And so that's the sphere that he leads. And those who are good with harps and lyres and cymbals, that's where they, they fit in. And so it's good for you just to see, okay, where, where, and, and often God will give you a burden along with that ability. Not always, sometimes it has to be discovered. Uh, but see, okay, what do I enjoy doing? What would I think I would like to do? Uh, let me chat to others if they think I would, it would be a good fit for me to do that. Uh, again, if you have no technological insight at all, you've never used a computer in your life, uh, don't join the AV team. Uh, it's, unless unless you, you, know, you can be trained and you have a, a skill at it. But most likely, God has already, as you get older, shown you where your, your, your interests are, what you're good at. And so here we see this wonderful principle. Uh, so do speak to others, speak to team leaders as well. Uh, but you must be serving. Look for opportunities to serve. God has given gifts to, uh, to His church. The imagery of the body, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, is so important. Hands, feet, eyes, mouth, nose, ears, all of those things. Uh, we need all of God's people to be serving. We don't want any member to be a pew warmer. If you just come on Sunday and go straight home. We want God's people to be using their, their gifts. Uh, God has given you abilities. And uh, here's the wonderful thing as well, I believe, from as I study the parables, the parable of the talents, uh, is that what I have seen as well is the more people get involved, the more their abilities increase. Okay. Uh, the more that they're able to, to serve in, in different ways. Uh, so, so start serving. Maybe it's not the perfect fit, that's fine. Move to a different ministry. Okay. Uh, but don't stop serving. We're called to, to serve one another. We're called to, to serve the Lord and serve each other. Uh, and then it carries on. Uh, it talks about in verse 24, uh, they, they were to blow trumpets before the ark of God. Obed-Edom and Jehiah were to be gatekeepers for the ark. Verse 25, so David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. There it is again. It's all done with joy as they seek to worship the Lord. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. And so this, this picture of completion, seven is the number of wholeness or completion. Seven bulls and seven rams are sacrificed. 
Verse 27, David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and the singers, and Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers. And David wore a linen ephod. And this is quite remarkable. This is something I learned this week. Um, so I have to go and change all my recordings from the last 20 years, all the era that I've preached. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, there is this paradigm uh, from the Old Testament, and it's, it's fulfilled in Christ, of prophet, priest, and king. And so these are the three offices where someone who fulfilled any of them was anointed to fulfill that office, prophet, priest, or king. And um, uh, I've always said that you know, nobody ever had all three until, until Jesus Christ. We know that David was a king, obviously. And we're told in Acts chapter 2 that he was a prophet. Uh, Peter says, you, I think it's verse 30, somewhere around there, David was speaking as a prophet, and so David was a prophet as well. Uh, but here the commentators show that uh, he is even dressing as a priest and is involved in priestly service here. Not in its fullness, uh, but in a, in a secondary way, he, he points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. David here symbolizes Christ. Notice I mentioned the special clothing that priests received. They would receive this, this uh, pure white linen clothing. And it was to symbolize, they were supposed to symbolize purity and righteousness. And then they had on this breastplate uh, that had the 12, 12 stones, precious stones on the front. And it symbolized again uh, how they interceded and represented the nation of Israel, all 12 tribes. Uh, and then they had a, a turban and they had a gold band. Uh, whenever metal was used, it was gold. Gold in scripture speaks of purity. And so this white clothing and gold and precious stones. Uh, the idea was that the priests, as they represented God's people, also represented God to the people. They represented the holiness and the beauty and the majesty of God. That God is pure. And even on the, the golden headband, it said, Holy to the Lord. Now, if you're a Christian, you are a priest. Uh, we don't have a uniform. Uh, so, generally, if a church gives you a uniform, stay away from that church. Okay. <laughs> it's a cult. Uh, it's striving for external conformity, uh, apart from heart change. Of course, external conformity is easy to achieve. You can just go join the army. That's how they work. Uh, that's how cults work. But God calls us for something much deeper. He wants heart change. And so we don't wear, you know, white linen dress <laughs> type thing. But in Christ, we have robes of righteousness. Isn't that right? The scripture, the New Testament says that. We are clothed in Christ with his righteousness. We are set apart. We belong to the Lord. If you are a Christian, your sins are covered. They are dealt with. Remember the Lord says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's your identity in Christ. 
You are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Your filthy garments, stained with the blood and the vomit of your sin, was placed on Christ at Calvary. And he was treated as you and I deserve to be treated. And his perfect righteousness, his purity, absolute purity, isn't it? A, it's a wretched thing, isn't it? When you see some, something beautiful being defiled. When you see maybe it can just be something as, as uh, somebody spray paints a beautiful vehicle. Someone defaces a great work of art. But that's what our sin does to us. We are made in the image of God and yet in our sin we are filthy. We, are def we deface the image of God. We take what is beautiful and glorious and mar it. And Christ was perfect and holy, never sinned. Never separated from the Father. Pure. Purer than any baby here. And yet humiliated and destroyed. Judged in our place. And all our gross iniquity, all our perversion, all our filth placed upon Him. And He gives us then that pure, clean robe of righteousness. So that as a Christian, I can go to sleep, I can put my head down on the pillow. I'm right with God. I'm clean. Not because I never sinned today, confessed my sin, but and because of Christ and who I am in Him, I am clean. I'm washed, spotless. And so David here uh, points us to Christ, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. The prophet who tells us the truth. In our ignorance, ignorance we need to know the truth. A priest who not only intercedes for us, but is also the sacrifice. And a king, a shepherd king, who gives us good rules and protects us and serves us. Verse 28, so all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn and trumpets and cymbals and made loud music on harps and lyres. This is just stunning. All the musical instruments, all the different branches, his wind instruments here, percussion instruments, string instruments, all coming to worship the Lord with joy. All Israel... All of God's people, the chronicler emphasizing the unity. And then we come to verse 29. All Israel except for one person. And as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David dancing and rejoicing. And she despised him in her heart. Let me just say her name is pronounced Michal. Not Michael. <laughs> I've heard people pronounce it Michael. Michael is the most masculine name you can find. <laughs> but what a, what a sad verse. Uh, the whole nation is rejoicing. There is loud music. There is dancing. There is all these instruments praising God. Everyone is full of joy and adoration and worship. It's a picture of what the church is to be. 
The redeemed people of God, one pastor says, if this is how they behaved, how should we behave? We have so much more in Christ. And here there is one person, Saul's daughter. She looks on David and she despises him. She looks on the dancing and the rejoicing. She despises it. The parallel account in 2 Samuel 6 says she, she, she mocked David. She said, how could you humiliate yourself dancing with the common people? You see, she was the daughter of a king. You don't, you don't as nobility, you don't hang around with the, the plebs, the hoi polloi. That's, that's how the world system works. But of course, our Savior enters into to our suffering, comes into this world and does not take a place of prominence in Rome, uh, but comes to a little backwater in the Roman Empire, a little village, works with his hands, associates with the, the common people, the powerless, the weak, the rejected, the forsaken, Gentiles, Samaritans, children, women in that culture, rejected, looked down upon. There's a wonderful, I was chatting to, to Pastor during the week, you know, that the passage that we looked at with Uzzah, Uzzah broke the rules, didn't he? He thought he was, he was cleaner than the dirt, that he could stop the ark. And maybe there's some of you who think, yes, people who break the rules should get what they deserve. Uh, you look down on that. Then you read the story a few chapters later of, of uh, Michal, and you're like wondering, what's wrong? Because I don't like dancing. Uh, you don't need that stuff. Uh, your heart is like hers. You look at David, you look at everyone rejoicing, you don't get it. Maybe there's others of you that say, no, I, I can understand why God is upset with Michal. She didn't enter in and worship the Lord, but I can't understand the story of Uzzah. That doesn't seem fair to me. You see how the scriptures, no matter where your heart leans, will challenge you. If you're a legalist, it will challenge you. If you're licentious, it will challenge you. It will confront you on all of your sins, wherever you are. But what I want to say to you today is, God's people should worship the Lord with joy, with rejoicing. And we're, people are different, cultures are different, personalities are different, but you can at least tell your face a little bit that there is joy in worshiping the Lord. At the very least, there will be difficult times, but when we come together to sing praises to the Lord, and you're thinking of the privilege of this, there must be joy. There must be something that, that happens in your heart. We're not Platonists, that the body is some separate weird thing. The Lord Jesus said we worship with our whole being. Love the Lord your God with not just your heart, not just your mind, but with all your strength and with your body. To delight in Him. And I know there will be seasons when it's difficult, uh, when one feels down, convicted, all of those things. But that's why even in our singing we try and find a, 
There's songs that are more quieter and more sober and more introspective, more aware of, of the, the holiness of God. And then there's other songs where it's full of joy and vibrancy to say, I'm forgiven. My sins are washed away. This is giving us, how, how are we to come to God today? Still with humility and joy. Praising Him, using all the instruments that God has given us to, to worship Him, to make a, a joyful noise to Him. And if you come, if you find you can't come to church with joy, then, then consecrate yourself before you come. Meditate on the promises of God. Meditate on who you are in Christ. In our bulletin we have that. Well, we used to. Maybe we don't have it anymore. We used to. <laughs> All right, I just can't find it now. But it was a psalm. It says, uh, it, how, how the psalmist delighted when they said, come, let us go up to the house of the Lord. It was a joy. If that joy isn't there, then, then draw aside. Seek the Lord. Maybe there's unrepentant sin that you're not dealing with that's holding you back. Maybe you have a wrong view of worship. Maybe you have a limited view. Maybe some of you, the view of worship is simply that it's, it's always heavy and sober. That is in the Scriptures. It's there. Some of you might have a view that if it's ever heavy and sober, then it's wrong. No. Both are there. You can go and read the Psalms. You find heavy Psalms, convicting Psalms, fearful Psalms. But you find Psalms full of joy and rejoicing and praising God. We need both. Holistic worship. Praise God with all that we are. God is redeeming not just my soul or anything. He's redeeming my body, my whole being to worship Him. Chapter 16, and they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. This is wonderful. They're worshipping God and you know what? They don't offer sin offerings. When we come together, we're not offering sin offerings. That has been done. That will never be done again. Jesus Christ was the sin offering. Jesus Christ is the one who has atoned for your and my sins. Once for all, the writer of Hebrews says, it's done. You can't atone for your sin. Jesus has done it already. That job has been taken. And he did it perfectly. These offerings, a burnt offering symbolized, I'm, I'm consecrating my whole self to you, Lord. The whole offering was burnt up, symbolically representing I'm committing my whole life to you. That's what we do when we come here every week. You should be saying that again. I'm re-consecrating my whole life, not getting re-saved, no. <laughs> you're saved if you're a child of God. If you've repented and put your trust, you are saved forever and ever. But you're re-consecrating. Saying, Lord, I want to give everything to you. I see this past week, these are the areas. But today I'm committing to, as, as the preaching convicts me, as maybe a lyric from a song challenges me, as the reading of God's word touches my heart, points out an area, I'm saying, Lord, I want it this week. I'm going to fight that area. This week, I'm going to put that right. I'm consecrating my whole self to you. And then a peace offering. The peace offerings are beautiful. 
peace offering, you brought a sacrifice to the Lord. And you know who got to eat from it? You got some back. And the priest and God. It's also called a fellowship offering. Isn't that beautiful? When we come together, we are receiving as well. We are sharing with one another. And we are worshipping the Lord. Showing our unity as God's people belonging to the living God. And when David had finished, verse 2, finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. This is lavish. This is rejoicing. Not just to men. Remember this culture? Ancient Near Eastern culture. Very patriarchal. Often in a sinful way. But yeah, to the men and the women, he gave to everyone a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. This is the idea of what we should be striving for as God's people. As they rejoiced when David was anointed, they're rejoicing even more so now that God is enthroned in Jerusalem. There's feasting and rejoicing delighting in the finished work of Christ. That's what we are called to. We're going to have next, next week church gathering. And here's a picture. Again, that continues into the New Covenant. We've seen that already as we looked at 2 Corinthians. That the, the early church had these feasts. So next week we're going to have a feast. We're going to come together, worship God, by God's grace, sing loudly, rejoice, praise Him, honor Him, delight in the gospel and what He has accomplished, and then enjoy a feast together for what the Lord has done, for what He has accomplished. These are little things that point to the eternal state, little foretastes of the eternal state. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we again thank you for this passage. We thank you for uh, just the, the wholesomeness of this passage, Lord. The practicality, the richness of it, just the earthiness in the best possible sense. People just delighting in you, Lord, rejoicing in you, praising you, exalting you, honoring you with their whole being. Father, we pray that as your priests, as those who belong to you, those who are called, those who are consecrated, those who are clothed in your righteousness, that we would serve you like this, that we would worship you with joy. It would be a wholehearted rejoicing, Lord. So we pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord. And we pray that you would Strengthen us for the week that lies ahead. Help us to continue to delight in you. And we pray that next week as we gather, we would delight in you again and feast with one another. Enjoy rich fellowship, delighting in you and the good gifts that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.